As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. the athletic football show i'm robert mays joining me tonight is my good buddy nate tice nate how are you doing great dozen weeks in i i'm just glad you're here by the way after that sunday night <laughs> extravaganza so. all right listen that's fine to me i have no hope i'm not holding out any hope for this year if it gets bad enough i think everyone will understand that changes probably need to be made i mean you could see it in that game they're giving up I mean, the defense, yeah. just their spirit is completely broken. And that was going to happen after a certain amount of time. And after several years, of course, it's going to happen. I think you saw it down the back half of last season. And it's here again. And I don't know if it's anyone's fault specifically. But I think after a long time, as a defensive player, even when your unit is good, you understand there's no hope. And you wonder what you're playing for. And I think that we've reached that point again. They've reached that point as a franchise. And now, I just think it's time to keep an eye on the standings. I mean, for the most part, things went well today. We're talking about the Bears, by the way. I mean, if, if, if no one caught that. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the team that I root for, and I'm very sad about on a general level, but I'm not sad about today. But if you look at a lot of the things that went down, just in terms of the results today, they were good for the Bears. The Giants won. The Falcons won. The Niners won. I mean, these are all teams that are going to be jockeying in the top 10 of the draft. I mean, when you're talking about a team like San Francisco or New England, who also won, these are teams that could potentially draft a quarterback. The Bears are also five and six. Like There is nothing to say the Bears can't have a top 10 pick in this draft. And with so many other quarterback needy teams outside of the top 10, a team like Washington theoretically winning that division and going all the way down to 19, this is where my head's at right now. Lose every game by 25 because that was my biggest concern about this year is they go 8-8 eight and eight and they're still stuck in no man's land with no route to get a quarterback. But if you get into the top 10 or somehow, whatever, this is the better outcome is just everything being torn down after this season. So is it hard to watch? Yes. Is it embarrassing? Yes. But would I rather have this than an eight and eight year where everyone convinces themselves that let's run it back. And if one or two things go differently, maybe the outcome will be different. Absolutely. This is better if you care about the bears in any sort of long-term way. 
because it lets you put a full palm and wait into the reset button as exactly. opposed to just a, fi- a finger or two and maybe glance at it like, oh, I'm not sure. And it's it's funny, like, you know, you mentioned it's like, yeah, it's not it's not great watching the defense kind of have those moments of like, oh, what's the point? Almost like a nihilistic way of playing defense because like I, I even saw a passionate competitor like Khalil Mack. He had a nice play today. It was either a sack or a TFL, but then like they showed him and he just kind of just trotted off the field. Like, no, their spirits are broken. Broken, broken. Not just the offense. It's it's bad bad enough when you have one unit and it's just like, you know, one unit's on the field and it's like, oh, hopefully they have a bit they have a good time out there for these couple of plays. And then it's like, okay, defense, let's rally. But when everything is just so bad that even what's supposed to be the strength of your team is not playing with like an edge it's it's scary and it's it's like you said it's it's at the point where you're going to be standings watching now because you need to start getting a path because otherwise you're going to be in purgatory already kind of stuck in purgatory and it's like that would happen even more so if they won a game like this tonight instead it's like okay now we can really establish what we are or look at ourselves and see what we are as an entire franchise which right now isn't great there's no sense in doing this, but I've definitely looked back at the win against Atlanta and the win against Detroit. And it's like, man, if you drop both of those games, you have three wins right now. You're sitting there with potentially a top five pick. Things change, but it could still get pretty bad. And when I say all of this, when I talk about getting a new quarterback and drafting a quarterback, Ryan Pace is not the one making these decisions in this hypothetical world. that I'm gonna begin. I saw a couple <laughs> people say that to me today. It's like, you really want him to draft another quarterback? Absolutely not. This is a hard reset button sort of situation. So <laughs> this is your wish list. This is like the city yeah, of Chicago is not in charge of the field anymore. Like they could actually <laughs> like improve the field at Soldier Field and stuff. As, <laughs> as I watch them low. continue losing and devolve into a top 10 pick, potentially the regime that is currently in charge will not be there anymore they've had their moments over the last couple years but they need a lot of changes there so we're going to get into everything that happened this week we're going to talk about big titans win the browns somehow being eight and three and really controlling their destiny in terms of the playoffs the raiders making us pay for everything that we said (laughs) about them last week we're gonna have a new segment that we're excited about a fun would you rather before we get into any of that though Chiefs Bucks was the game of the weekend coming into it. It was the game of the weekend several weeks ago. I mean, it was something that I think a lot of people had circled on their calendar. And even though the score was close at the end, for most of this game, there was nothing close about it. I mean, just an absolute showcase for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense for a majority of this game. Do your eyes just glaze over at this point? I mean, some of the stuff they're doing, it just shouldn't be theoretically possible on a football field, and they seem to have no issue pulling it off. And it's truly they're putting the defense today like one page behind. It was, yes. okay, they lit them up when they're trying to pressure and be a man, like just ran them off the field. That's how Tyreek had such a big day. So the Bucks started shifting. They're like, okay, we'll do a little more zone change it up a little bit. We They, they went a little bit, uh, some cover two in there. And the Chiefs just shredded them with RPOs and the run game a little bit. They sprinkled it in, especially in the third quarter when they kind of changed it up a little bit. And Mahomes was just totally in control. Like you said, the eyes are glazed over. Again, he has these throws that are like, you run out of words to say, especially me. I'm already limited in my lexicon, anyways. And he, <laughs> he hits, he hits, he hits this one, the Tyreek Hill, the little short go ball. It's in between a fade and a go, and it's an unbelievable throw. Tyreek Hill gives the late hands, and it's like it's so crazy to see. It was great like coverage. Five ten, great coverage to a five ten receiver. It was great coverage. Like had- it was a tough day for Carlton Davis overall on that play. He was fine. 
he was in the right spot. He probably should have done a better job of reading those hands, but Tyreek Hill did a great job of making them late. So it's just a great play. The first touchdown he scored to me is the most ridiculous just because of everything about it. There was the out and up where Mahomes just throws it 55, 60 yards perfectly. And a couple different things about that play. One, the out and up that he runs is run at full speed. Essentially, the out part of it is one step and he never slows down. It, he had no, Davis had no chance, like zero chance as soon as he got going. Two, I was talking to a play caller this week about this very subject. We were talking about some of the plays that the Chiefs run. And he essentially told me that if I brought some of that stuff back to my offensive line coach, he would tell me to jump up my own ass <laughs> because <laughs> it's impossible to protect some of this stuff that it they is. do, how long developing it is. But because you have him, it doesn't matter. It's just this, I mean, this is stuff that's been said over and over again, but it's comes to fruition so often that it's worth repeating. You said this earlier today. These guys were all made for each other. It is this yeah. convergence of talent and scheme and everything else. Mahomes is this muse for Andy Reid and the rest of that staff that just brings out the best in them. From the first play from scrimmage today, they lined up and it was a tight split from the number one receiver on the left side and they sent... Tyreek in motion, jet motion to the right from right to left. He gets out to the edge of the corner that has no leverage whatsoever. And the first play, Mahomes just flips it to him for like a 25-yard gain. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there like, uh-oh. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just the type of stuff they have. It They are so good at keeping you on your toes. And like you said, one page behind. I just, again, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. It, it tends to happen with the NFL, which is so week to week. But you watch a game like that and you watch what they did in the first half. When he's throwing for 400 yards, it's like, is there anybody that can beat this team? Are we kidding ourselves to think that with him healthy and with them playing like this, that anyone in the league really has a real shot? And like, right, your first question to me was, do your eyes just glaze over? It's that third, he had a third and 27 that he almost converted. And and it was like, I did, no one blinked an eye at it. It was not like, oh my God, he almost converted that one. It was just like, Almost had another one. Okay, they're punting. Like, okay, like nothing just happened. And Mahomes makes these incredible throws, and we we rave about well, – you can't rave about him enough. He, he truly is unbelievable. But he does the quarterback thing so well. They're in the four-minute situation. He scrambles for a first down. And he plops down. He goes down. Okay, most quarterbacks yeah. are going to do that. They're pretty smart players. But then on the next third down on that four-minute drive to kill the clock, they run a sprint out. And he's going to his left, and some quarterbacks might spaz out there, and everything is just so calm. It was like it's just the inevitability. It is the the Thanos. It's so true. Uh, I am inevitable. <laughs> like that's how it feels. It's just like that. He was going to convert it. There's not most guys sprinting out to the left. You'd be like, okay, that's you know, if something goes askew here, like are they going to panic? Are they going to go down? Or are they going to throw some bad throw across their body? It was like no. He had it just all just so composed, and it's just. I mean, their whole team is just playing fun. Like the defense is creating turnovers. They they're playing a little loose, uh, a little bit with some of the stuff they're doing. But and it's kind of it's kind of crazy is what they're causing is like a, a smart players like Brady. They're causing miscommunications to happen because they're yeah. just on defensively. They're just it's what the analogy we, we brought up earlier this year was full court press, get the ball back, with hit more threes, more layups, hit more threes, more layups. They just keep coming at you. Well, they're playing more the, press than anybody in the league. I mean, they're and it seems pure like it. aggression <laughs> on defense because. I think they understand stylistically that's all they need to do. You create a couple mistakes and you win the game because your offense is going to score that consistently. Mm -hmm. It's really 
remarkable how in command he is at all times. Like you said, the RPOs, every time they seem to bring heat, he had an answer for it. I mean, there was one play in the first half. I can't remember who it was completed to, but it was just a little slant replace on a blitz off the edge. He hit, he hit him right in half a second. And it's just like, well, I guess we can't do that anymore. It's just he takes so <laughs> yep. much stuff off the table. There's an answer for everything. So flipping to the Bucks side of this, obviously the numbers look good in the end just aesthetically for Brady because of they're down three scores. They had to come back. They were a couple big plays, but their offense looked disjointed again. Do you feel like they have any hope of kind of finding their footing down the stretch here? Or do you think there's just fundamentally something wrong with the way that they're approaching this or the way they're built on offense? That's always going to put them a step behind. I just think it's what that Arian's philosophy is. It's just how that offense kind of is. It's built on these matchups and it's, it's a power offense in the sense that they are down the field in the passing game. They're coming at you, like, you know, with these overs and routes coming vertically at you, along with running, uh, and it's cliche, but running duo over and over and over out of just the same formations. And they're able to tie them in with these 11 personnel and some 12 personnel stuff. But it's just what they are. They're going to have these games where it's just not clicking and it's going to look really ugly because you need some good players for that offense to look good. <laughs> I mean, most offenses you need that, but the the bar is really low, I think, with that kind of offense. You need the players to win these matchups that you're creating for them. Brady was getting pressured like crazy today. It was, I mean, it felt like 50% of his dropbacks, there's a pressure. And that's the problem is that when you're playing yeah. that way, as soon as you start Correct. getting guys in your face the entire game, it's going to start falling apart. I remember I yep. said this like five years ago when I was watching the Cardinals version of this offense, which was very good. You know, that yeah. year, I mean, Palmer was an MVP candidate. They went to the NFC Championship game. They got blown out. I was at that game. But <laughs> I mean, it was a really good offense. But I can even remember then watching this offense in this style. And they do a lot of the yeah. same stuff now. Uh, I know. It felt it's like the same thing. It felt like a high wire act where what you're doing is the margin for error is so small and you don't give your guys a lot of wiggle room in that regard. And I think you saw that even today, like the ball to Godwin, half an inch here, half an inch there, that play has gone off the table. And that's one of the only big plays you had all day. It feels like they're just getting by by the skin of their teeth. Everything feels hard, even on the big plays. And I just think that's... It's a dangerous way to live. Those out routes at the beginning of the year that we talked about that resulted in a pick six, that kind of sums up this whole offense. It's it's like you said, it's the it's the inches. And that's what they're saying. They're going with this offense, they're saying, hey, we're gonna outperform you and make more of these plays than not. But when you don't make these plays, it that's the high wire act is a great way to put it. It is just it's an offense that can either get drop fifty on you like it's nothing. Or it's going to make 17 points look like, you know, it took all day to get there. And like we could barely even put a drive together because they're going to get a lot of three and outs and a lot of these unmanned. That's what happened early today. They were off the field consistently. I mean, it it was one of those games. A couple other teams that just had one of those days today. Which NFC West team from today are you most disappointed in of the teams that we've talked about a lot on this show, the Rams or the Cardinals? I guess you could pick the Niners, even though they won, but I assume <laughs> that that's not the option for you here. I know. Can I like preemptively say like the Seahawks? I could just say like predict <laughs> that they're going to disappoint me tomorrow night. I, 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 I wish <laughs> so much that I didn't have to watch that game with any sort of interest tomorrow night, but it's a huge <laughs> fantasy game. The guy I'm playing oh. against is Miles Sanders and Dallas Goddard, and I'm going to watch every snap of that game and hate myself the whole time i got young way cood and and <laughs> antonio gibson so i'd have no shot anyways the i i, I hate to sound kind of like this but like saying like oh i knew this was happening 
kind of I'm not disappointed by the Cardinals because I kind of expected a bad game like this to happen against the totally. Patriots. So I'm not disappointed. It's a terrible matchup for them. The Patriots live in man. It hasn't been great this year, but they are fine just doubling Hopkins, running their man double stuff, and then just, hey, yeah, we'll let the other guys beat us. Christian Kirk drops a ball. Other, the other plays aren't clicking, and they're consistent with their pass rush and pushing the pocket and being very uh, sound with their stuff and not, okay, Kyler might get us, but Kyler at one point, I think in the first half, he had negative one yards rushing. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous with what we've seen he's been able to do week in and week out against different speeds and different types of schemes that uh, defense is throwing at him. So the fact that they're able to one double uh, DeAndre Hopkins and then also get this rush on Kyler and not let him do his stuff. So it was a really fun kind of schematic battle. It's fun seeing Belichick against these unique type of offenses, whether it be a, a Ravens offense or or the Rams a couple of years ago. So, okay, that's not even my answer is the Cardinals. So I guess my disappointing answer of the week would be the Rams offense, even though they did some fun things with Robert Woods. and I love him. Everybody loves him. But just really disappointed how they look today. Like they just, the pocket kind of kept collapsing. Goff was off on his throws. He had one of a, a kind of a bad golf day. They couldn't get things going. And I get with the 49ers is kind of their bogey team. They kind of have their number on uh, with, they kind of know everything they're about to run and it makes them look really sloppy and disjointed. I think it's more just, I expect the Rams every week to have these fun schematic stuff and really cool stuff that they do every week. So I guess it was more just, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed with the Rams offense this week. <laughs> I kind of fall in a similar boat because I think that this sort of disjointed performance from the Cardinals is something that we've come to expect just because yeah. their passing game doesn't find a rhythm that easily. There was that one drive where it seemed like they were hitting Hopkins on time and they were developing something there. Outside of that, again, it just looks out of sync so often and they need Kyler to make those plays, especially in the red zone. If he's yeah. not making plays inside the 20, so I looked up the numbers today. I think he's third in the NFL in rushing EPA in the red zone among any players, including running backs, but he's 15th in passing. So when he, as a passer, he, they mm-hmm. become really limited in that area of the field, but what he can do with his legs changes things. They stall out inside the 10 if he's not running the ball. And that's exactly what you saw today. They got stuffed on the one. I mean, it's a pretty regular occurrence yeah with the rams so i went back and i watched that whole game again and i came away more impressed with the niners than i was disappointed in the rams so the first golf interception i'm curious what you thought about that if i guess he thought that it was cover three i assume that sherman was going to get run off by the go and that higby was going to come underneath it but sherman was just standing right there it was also a bad throw if he was even throwing it to higby it was bad all around the second interception is just a terrible (laughs) decision he threw it right to kinlaw even on that play greenlaw did a really good job i think it was on cup with the as they're trying to just get that little choice route to cup that they like in short yardage situations Mm -hmm. and greenlaw was just sitting right there you saw that a bunch today where they just had a really good feel for doubling cup on those plays with the linebacker you know, warner had a couple plays where you could tell he had a really good sense of what was going on the niners linebackers play with really good eyes and when against the rams it's such an important thing to do because they take advantage of those guys play after play after play so the niners they're really well coached and their linebackers are really good in coverage it's a tough team for the rams to play against because those are usually the guys they beat up on the entire game yeah it's linebackers kind of had this last kind of decade or so a little bit of the I wouldn't say the running backs don't matter discussion, but it's one of those things. There's a lot of interchangeable linebackers. Listen, the Rams are trying to play it out to its extreme right now. So I trust me, I've been paying attention. 
And so with that is you see these offenses really trying to attack guys that might not be the best players on their unit. And um, it's it's funny with the first interception, though, like it's the classic guy about to shoot a jump shot from 15 feet, 12 feet, doesn't know where there's shoot for the rim or bank it in. Yeah. So yeah, he yeah. shoots in between. And it kind of just hits the side of the rim and it kind of like really bad. <laughs> That's kind of what the golf first pick was. The second one was a late rush got there and he, yeah, I think it was going to get picked anyways, even if it, he didn't get like kind of hit as he was about to throw. It was kind of, it was just a weird game. There, there's seven turnovers total in the game. Like Aaron Donald played out yeah, of his mind. Out of his game. mind. He, he like yeah. ascended to a different plane. He had the strip sack, the strip for the touchdown, and then the very next play he gets a sack. He tipped the ball for the first Mullins interception. I mean, he was a monster in this game, and they still lost. I mean, in just a couple little plays here and there, Goff missed Henderson down the sideline for that would-be touchdown, and then Ward did a great job on Woods on third down right after that. Yeah, Ward had a great day today. He was awesome today. Yeah, yeah. A couple plays where they could tell that I think they tried to get him on double moves, just like a little like similar to what we've seen Adams do a couple times in the red zone. Just that little double move straight mm-hmm. vertical up the field. And Ward did an awesome job on that a couple different times. Again, I was just impressed by the Niners defense. I thought they looked really well coached the entire game. I, I do too. Especially, and you kind of keep forgetting is, you know, these seasons are, it's funny. It's so week to week and it seems like it goes by so quick. It's week 12 already, but you forget some of the injuries that happen early on. So it's like, oh, this 49ers defense looks so good. And they don't even have Nick Bosa, you know, and some other pieces that got beaten up throughout the year. And you forget that. Like, and it's like, oh, they wow, just got Richard Sherman back today. He's been out for most today. of the season. You you forget about it. You honestly do. It's like we're pretty in tune with what goes on. And you kind of just like because you see it really is more like a two week every two weeks it kind of resets the league and you kind of reassess, okay, who has what, what players playing this week? You know, like a team like the Broncos has nobody playing for them this week, but, (laughs) (laughs) but like, but with, with something like this, it's like, yeah, you forget these pieces that these guys have. And also it's better at the end of the season and you can really evaluate, wow, this coaching staff did a hell of a job or like, wow, it's kind of cool seeing that guy take the most of his or make the most of his chance that he had because another guy went down that, when you're kind of in the micro view, like we are right now, you kind of, it slips through the cracks sometimes. Yeah. I don't, I have nothing to say about that Broncos game. Like I didn't really watch it. I, <laughs> I watched the first quarter cause I thought it was weird and interesting, but now it, it just got boring in a hurry. We could talk about that later as it relates to the saints on another day, but yeah, it's like, it's like an art house film that your buddy yeah. like, tells you to watch and you're like, you know, I'm willing to watch anything, but it's kind of one of those after about 10 minutes of it, you're like, Okay, I got it. I got I got what I'm about to watch here. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, it was it was fine. It was, it was one of those things. It was like, all right, I get why this would be entertaining for a little while, but I'm I'm not going to keep it on the whole time. The one thing I want to say before we move on, the juice check pass to get them into field goal range to make it 20 to 20 is just such Shanahan shit that I loved. He juice check is in the left slot. Mm-hmm. They motion born into the flat to pull Ramsey into the flat and then Yushek runs him off down the sideline and then he hits him for a 20 yard gain and gets him into field goal range. He is putting this thing together with duct tape and rubber bands <laughs> and like and Nick Mullins. I mean, that's exactly what this is. They they went to juice check on fourth and one, and I was like, Yeah, that's that's the best call right there. That's the best play. <laughs> it's it's amazing. I mean, it is truly amazing. <laughs> duct tape and gum putting it together that's hilarious <laughs> uh, we, we will get to the 49ers quarterback situation a little bit later in the show before we do that let's get to who won the week 
Just win, baby. All right. My first candidate here, Arthur Smith brought it today. I mean, oh the, the, the entire Titans offensive staff, the entire Titans offensive pers- group of personnel, just an incredible performance from them today. Derrick Henry goes 27 carries for 178. Tannehill averaged more than 10 yards per attempt. A.J. Brown had another big day. The Colts allowed more points in the first half than they have in any game this entire season. Thank you to our producer, Kent Garrison, for putting that in there. <laughs> that is... Way to go, Kent. Remarkable. I mean, and that, and it felt like that. It felt like they were just moving the ball at will today. Was there anything they did out of the norm that jumped out to you, or do you just feel like this was the perfect version of this type of offense and what they like to do? It was a perfect version. It, it it was a lot of what they'd normally do, but you get to see the Arthur Smith week to week tweaks that they do. Yeah. Like on the first drive, second drive, they ran ran a counter play, and they ran about three times today. I have never seen the Titans run counter. <laughs> So it was like, oh, okay. So just it like worked last today. Week. I noticed it too. It worked. And he actually looked okay running it. Yeah. The first one, Henry, you could tell they don't do it a lot because Henry messed up the footwork and Tannehill had to switch hands, which ball he was handing off. That's really like, funny. Which way he had to hit up, which is really funny. Yeah. And it's good. I, I don't blame him, especially with counter because just how you hear the numbering because you have to reverse your feet and yeah whatever but it could it's it's a timing run if you're not used to it yeah i can see it yeah no i'm not it's one of those where i was like no i get it that's why i wasn't making fun of it was more like oh wow that's interesting to you see nfl nfl guys screwed up too but it's just like last week when we saw the titans were running some outbreakers against the ravens kind of jumpy dbs mm-hmm. uh, you know the aj brown touchdown was the inbreaker which we should just name the aj brown play at this point just him catching the inbreaker off play action Last week they were running, they ran an outbreaker, which they did a couple times today. But they're throwing these changeups, and now every week they're throwing in a new changeup. So they're just adding these new pitches to their repertoire, and it pays dividends down the road. Hey, we got game reps at these plays that we might have to run later in the year. The opposing team the next week now has to worry about a whole new batch of plays that we might throw in there, and it might not seem like it's like oh, it's two run plays. It's a it's an outbreaker and it's a counter run play. Like well, that's not much difference. But when you hit them. That takes time and practice reps from the opposing team that's trying to break you down. It's cool. They hit what they always hit. They hit the A.J. Brown inbreakers. Tannehill did enough nice stuff with his legs and throwing the ball. He had the nice deep ball at the end of the half to Corey Davis. Yep. And then they just throw in these nice changeups with the, the staff. They're they're on fire on offense. They do it every week, and it's really fun to watch them do it in their own unique way. And, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of watching them. It, they took advantage of the Colts being beat up up front, but that's the thing. They took advantage of it. That's what you want a good team with yeah. a good offense to do. Take advantage of your matchup advantage that you have that week, and you don't apologize for a win. <laughs> we talked about it last week when we were watching them in the second half. It felt like they tapped back into something. It really did, and I think you saw a lot of that same stuff today. On the A.J. Brown touchdown, not only is it the sort of in-breaker yards after catch play that we expect from A.J. Brown, but Tannehill's getting a shot as he th- completes that pass, and that's one of his strengths. He does a really good job of delivering balls when he's about to get the shit kicked out of him. It's mm-hmm. a big part of a lot of the – his success under pressure is a huge part of why they're good on offense, and that's something that everyone assumed would just crash back to earth this year because it was so good last year, but he's maintained it. And it's so funny that you said the wrinkles because my favorite play they ran today, it was, 419, it was a 425 left in the second quarter. They lined up in 11 personnel, and they motioned Swain back into the backfield as a fullback. So they have them in a light defense, 
and it was a six-man box, and they just ran a zone lead play yep. with the six-man box, and Henry took it for 31 yards. I was watching that, and I was like, oh, that's the good shit. That's yeah. really good. I like that a lot. That was the one, too, is they kept Henry, you could tell as a coaching point, was to widen and then plant your fourth, uh, foot and get north on that on the exact same run that you're talking about and because they knew Darius Leonard keyed the fullback. So yeah, what the fullback was doing was getting wide, and then Darius Leonard runs himself out of the play, just blocks himself, and then Henry or Henry just plants his foot and gets north. It's like they know what they're getting each week. That's what helps when you have a fastball you can rely on every week. You start knowing what little nuances that you want to change up week to week. That's what you know Shanahan does beautifully every week is that those little changes that just change up the stuff. It's so funny that you mentioned Shanahan because when I watched them run those plays today and all the outside zone runs that they had today, they make it look so good. They make it look yeah. so natural. So Keith Carter is their offensive line coach. He's been there for three years. He was the assistant offensive line coach when Shanahan was in Atlanta. Yep. So he clearly is – he has this in his DNA. And when you watch this offensive line run this stuff, they it clicks for them. They It's mm-hmm. so smooth. It looks so pretty. There was run one run today. I think it was like two minutes left in the second half. And the double teams, they the two double teams up front, they got so much movement on it that neither of them came off on the linebacker. They didn't even need to. They just put the defensive lineman in the linebacker's <laughs> the lap, lap. Both of them. And it was that's ideally how you do it every time. Yeah. The movement right off the snap. I like made a guttural noise as I watched it. I was like, oh my God. And that's <laughs> like you were pushing the sleds with them. Like you're like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and this group is capable of that. And when they're clicking like they were today, they become very dangerous. I mean, I think that, you know, we'll talk about the Raiders in a second. In my mind, it's the team that can score with the Chiefs is going to have the best chance. And right now, I think that there's a chance this Titans team has the best offense in the AFC that's not Kansas City. I mean, a lot of the advanced metrics would tell you that. And when they're playing like they are today... I think they can back that up. And uh, that offense, I thought, found a groove late in the Baltimore game. And I think they continued that today. All right. Let's get to our next candidate here. The Cleveland Browns, man, are eight and three. It it, it was not a pretty win today. They tried to give it away a bunch of times. It was a bizarre Baker game. We could discuss it. Oh, boy. But they're eight and three. And when you look at the rest of the AFC, the Colts lost today, so the Colts mm-hmm. are, have four losses. The Browns have a game on the Colts mm-hmm. because they beat the Colts already this year. So any tiebreaker situation, they're essentially down two games. The Raiders lost, and even though the Raiders have the tiebreaker on the Browns because they beat them in that ugly rain game, now it's two games. The Browns are very much in the driver's seat in the AFC wildcard race, especially if Baltimore shorthanded loses to Pittsburgh mm-hmm. on Tuesday night. Then the Browns are sitting pretty. So... It doesn't look great all the time, but I do think that, especially on offense, they have tapped into a formula that works for the personnel that they have. I think that Kevin Stefanski has done a remarkable job this year. Actually, it's great that we just talked about the Titans uh, because it really has some similarities to what the Titans were last year that maybe they got a little lucky. There maybe it's a formula that, oh, does this formula work? Does it is it working for them or is it just working for them in these ugly games or is it something that's sustainable? Because I know they have a negative 21 point differential, but they are winning these games. And like you said, they're tapping into something that's working just like the Titans did last year and really had something they're like, okay, this is okay. We can build off this. So maybe they're a year early before they're a real, real team, but they're eight and freaking three. It's unbelievable. We were talking on the phone earlier today and I, I told you when it came up, CBS, I think it was, on an AFC playoff hunt. I just saw Browns eight and three. Like, I was like, 
really? Like, <laughs> I just, I, I, it's one of those, like, I, I know that, but I didn't know that. And it's like, oh, that's right. They are eight and three. But I mean, watching their run game is so much fun. We, uh, Callahan's awesome as an O-line coach. And now they're getting healthy a little bit again up front. But every type of run that run concept that they run is great. They ran pin pull, they're running power, they run zone, they're running wind back, and it all just looks so smooth and put together and cohesive. The training wheels are big time on Baker right now. Uh, they are not really oh, trusting yeah. him with and much. And they won't be it coming is, off at all. It is no, it is monster, monster tire size training wheels. It is sprint outs, boots, because every time he drops back, he turns it into like a quasi scramble drill. Sprint out yeah. to his right, always, that he always does. And I mean, he had the missed touchdown throw was just ugly. He had just a couple one. ugly misses today. He missed Kareem yeah. Hunt on what should have been the game ceiling play on the flat. Going to his right. Yeah. I mean, yep. he had a couple of those today, but he also had some really nice placement on a couple of he those did. throws. Great placement on the first touchdown throw to Jarvis Landry low and away. The deep yep. crosser to Landry he hit later in the game was a beautiful throw. I think that they're still figuring it out with him. Yeah. And you see all of those boots to the left. And that's a, that's a Stefanski thing. You watch all of the plays that Kirk Cousins did last year doing that mm-hmm. exact same thing. It's not a natural movement for a lot of quarterbacks, and it works. It's not. It's, it, defenses aren't really used to seeing it that way. Think about the touchdown the Packers scored today on that little burner post move that Tanyan hit. It, if you do a lot of rollouts to your left, it can work. It's just unnatural for the quarterback. And I think that Baker has gotten a little bit more comfortable doing it. And it's become an even bigger part of their offense because that's something not a lot of guys get reps at. I mean, nope. Cousins had dozens and dozens and dozens of reps at it when he worked with Stefanski last year because he worked with Shanahan in Washington. But unless you played in that offense, that's a feeling thing that you develop over time. And I think that Baker is getting better at it. And I think that this is the version of their offense they need. They're going to run the ball a lot and they're going to keep those training wheels on Baker. Defensively, they're still figuring it out. I think they're yeah. banged up. I think when Garrett gets back and Olivier Vernon playing the way he is now, their front can carry them a little bit. They're a paper tiger. They're not a a real contender, but I still think them being as competitive as they are after losing Beckham, having the offense have these sort of flashes, I think it's a really impressive coaching job from a guy in his first year trying to essentially teach a program how to win. I mean, the more wins you can stack up. A lot of teams in the first year of a head coach – you think, oh, you know, it doesn't matter if we make the, if we win, like the Washington, yeah. for example, this year. I think yeah. Washington's actually kind of similar, but I think that for a lot of teams, it doesn't matter if you win in year one, if you're going to just screw up your draft position. But for this franchise, winning right now, because you're built to win right now in terms of the talent that you have, I think it's absolutely important for them to stack up these wins because I think it matters in the building. It's mouthwash for the entire franchise. Exactly. I mean, it's, exactly. It's so needed. And it's funny you brought up the the stuff going to his left. And I, when I was at Wisconsin, Coach Chris, we were all right-hand quarterbacks. He, other than Russell, none of us booted to our left because he was just saying, it's not really an easy throw. I don't want to just create that shitty situation for you. So unless you can handle it, I'm not going to throw it onto you. He's also you know, great coach, and that's why he, he understands those types of things. But we, on, in the same thing with that it looks like Stefanski when they boot him to his left it's a lot of the settling uh boot stuff it's the shot play boots and it's smart absolutely because he doesn't have to flip his hips around right away he can flip them settle and then make the throw and but that's like hey you're getting shot plays with boot 
protection that is that's cheating and in a good way i mean that's just that's just a nice safe design that you can create for maybe a quarterback that's missing some throws but hey that's good coaching that's good play design that's that's the stuff that they're doing like you said it might be a little bit they're yeah they are a bit of a paper tiger but at least they're doing good stuff and those are types i think it's a well orchestrated team and well orchestrated offense and i think that's the most important thing it's also really interesting to watch where Baker sets up on some of the play action throws because they have so many power runs in their offense that they've kind of had to graft these Shanahanian Kubiak style boots and play action throws with power run plays up front. <laughs> and it's it those are two things that typically don't go together. So they it's yeah. been a process for them to kind of figure it out and figure out where Baker settles on some of these play action throws. So that's what I'm saying is there's a lot yeah. of different things coming together with them. And I still think they're in the feeling out process and they're eight and three, which I yeah. think that's the most you can say <laughs> about a first year staff. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, let's get to the bad. It's time for Vince to ask the question here. What the hell's going on out here? So, Nate, you and I talked about the Raiders for a good, like, 15 minutes on the podcast last <laughs> week, even though they lost to the Chiefs. And as I'm watching them last week, I was like, man, they're figuring it out. The offense just has it. You know, they, that whatever yeah. it is, they have it. They're putting guys in positions to succeed. Derek Carr has just reached a different level this year. And then they come out and they lose 43 to freaking six against the Falcons. And they look completely hapless. I'm tempted to say this is just one of those games that gets away from you. There are a couple. Jacobs misses on the fourth and one. Mm -hmm. You have a couple strip sacks. They got a ton of bad breaks in this game. But it also just feels like every time I want to believe in the Raiders, they make me regret going down that road and this is just another example of that they're your mid-season bucks it was you know the bucks used to be always be your preseason your preseason love and now this I is your mid-season version <laughs> I, I, it's god they looked i mean we flew too close to the sun i was i mean i honestly i watched more of their film and i was like yeah i, I believe everything i said on that podcast because that's they were looking good they had more drives today than they had first downs they had 14 drives and only That's 13 brutal. first downs. The entire day, the right side, Brandon Parker had a rough one. They cannot wait for Trent Brown to get back. I mean, so they had 11 penalties. Just too much dink and dunk against a defense that's more than happy to allow you to dink and dunk. And all of a sudden, the Falcons were just like bringing the wood today, just 
smoking guys on, in the flats and just knocking guys around. They really cool were. They, yeah, they were flying around today. Good for them. And shout out to my man, Youngway Koo, who uh, I was with in the AAF with the Atlanta Legends. So I, I was happy <laughs> for him. Uh, even I had to play against him in fantasy, but good job, Youngway. But, uh, you know, it's the Fal- it wasn't like the Falcons were bringing it today either. They're on their receiver screens, the dirt cutter special. They're, you know, they only averaged 4.2 yards. Julio was gone. You know, it was just an ugly game, but it was the Falcons were a little less ugly than what the Raiders put out there today. But I, I think we just flew a little too close to the sun. Maybe it was the week against the Chiefs being a divisional thing and maybe knowing what you're getting. Loud card to kind of play just a little more aggressive and knowing because he knows exactly what he was getting on each down and distance. So now he's playing a team that he doesn't know as well. So it could be a whole bunch of things. So yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to watch the Raiders and just uh, maybe I'll hedge a little bit, a little bit more than I did (laughs) the last couple of weeks with them. I think the protection was the surprising thing. I mean, it just, that hadn't come back to bite them this year with when they were missing Brown and it did a couple times today. I mean, one, I mean, 91 just roasted Parker for one of those strip sacks. I mean, it was quick, but then one of the other ones, Foyasade Aluakon was one-on-one against Waller. They left him one-on-one and Aluakon just right by him. And that's that why guy, Waller's not a blocker. Yeah, exactly, right? That's why you don't do that. I, By the way, just quick note. I love Aluakon. That guy can play. Well, you nailed his name, so I know that's why you yeah, like him. Look at that. Well, it's, so he was a six-round pick a couple of years ago, and yeah. he was went to Yale. And I'm curious what you think about this, because I think the idea of developmental prospects is interesting. A guy like, ah, we're not going to play him right away. He's going to come along slow. So they let Devondre Campbell go in free agency. This guy gets elevated to a different role within the defense. He starts playing well with more reps. Grover Stewart's another good example. Somebody mm-hmm. that was taken late, given some time, develops, gets a contract extension. When you draft a guy at the back end, is that kind of the idea with a lot of those guys? It's like he's just going to sit and we're going to have a plan for him. Do you, ha- do you have a plan in mind when you have those developmental prospects that you know you're going to bring along slowly? Yeah, with a lot of them, you 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 got to get special teams value out of them. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's it's practice squad because it's all right. Otherwise, you're on this roster for no good reason and you're never going to be active. And it's why you're here until you can play. The problem is a lot of teams fall in love with these bendy, maybe more project types, and they take them in the third round when then they can't sit and develop like they should. <laughs> so they fall in love with these guys and take them at pick 50 in the second round. And it's like. This guy can barely even see the field for the first two two years. He's still trying to figure out how to play football because the draft evalu- personnel evaluator just couldn't help themselves because they just could just see the light. They could just see like what this guy could be, but the guy should actually be taken in the fifth or sixth round. I think it's a lot of your that especially the first year. It's like, hey, if we can get special team value out of him and buy after the bye week can he help us as like, if it's a receiver, the number four receiver, if it's a pass rusher type, can he be our number four step in and play 20 snaps for us or something of that sort? Good teams have plans and good teams know how to get depth in the right spots. Uh, Not all teams are able to do that. And they'll take a six round guy that for a guy that they think is a guard that they're going to have as their interior swing guy with no development leading into it. But you just the good teams do have plans for these guys and, or they just at least know, Hey, this is a home run swing. We give him two years. If he doesn't work out, all right, he's off kind of fun seeing actually sidebar seeing the practice squad rules kind of get a little more lenient and change a little bit. It'd be really fun to see these grow and see these guys get more chances with teams mm-hmm. and rip. And you can see these coaches and talent evaluators. They all have their guys every draft, just like people on Twitter do, or just any draft <laughs> Nick, you have your boys 
And all of a sudden, a few years later, uh, that guy might be available. Hey, let's get him on practice squad. Like, I remember him from the draft, and I loved him. I would have taken him in the second round. If he was with me, he would be, you know, a pro bowler, and he could barely make the practice squad. But there's going to be a lot more of that. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe some of these coaches were actually right when they said that they could turn these guys into a pro bowler. But we'll see. But that's just sidebar. I do think that's one good development that NFL has been doing. It was interesting. I mean, the guy was a college safety at Yale. And yeah. he came along slowly, played a little bit last year, but he's been playing really well. And I, he's yeah. been fun to watch. The guy's a lot of juice. He's really athletic. And with Deion Jones, they have a, I mean, that's a ton of movement skills yeah. in the middle of their defense. They just seem faster today. Like, yeah, they, just, they really did. The entire did. unit just seemed fast. Yeah. I don't know. They just stood up. Kellen Neal sliding around. Yeah. It was, it was cool to see the Falcons doing that today. All right. Let's get to our next one here. Anthony Lynn is on my list today. I feel like I have defended him longer than most people have in part because even if they're losing these games i think they've come to play it's a lot of close losses but when you watch what that team looked like down the stretch today it's hard to defend a lot of it the bills tried to give them that game several times returning the ball over in the fourth quarter and whether it's the short yardage decisions that they're making not going for it or not going for it, which has been a problem for them in the past. But yes. today, it was the types of plays they were running in short yardage. The fourth and one up the middle just stuffed the run in the second half that they had. Mm-hmm. Was, I think it was a read play, but Herbert didn't keep it. And even though we, even if they had the option, he probably should have. But the third and one speed option to Joshua Kelly is just something that should be ejected into the sun. And when they were coming down, they were down by two scores. Mm-hmm. And just the complete lack of understanding about how to use the clock when they were going to go for it when they weren't i mean this is a team that consistently puts itself behind the eight ball in these moments where you can gain an advantage like you said the chiefs feeling so methodical and so in control the chargers the exact opposite of that and i think that eventually the problem is going to be that guys on the roster understand that and they lose faith in the coaching staff's ability to put them in the best spots. Guys know that. And I think coaches understand that. I mean, I remember just talking to coaches that didn't play in the league. And they've always said to me that the thing you have to do is show your guys that you give them answers. That they, you have answers for them and you can help them. And if you can't, that's when you start to lose them. And I think that's going to be a problem for the Chargers here. Is that if they consistently show the guys in that locker room that they can't help them and that they're putting them in bad spots and contributing to some of these things, it's going to be a problem. And I think we might be reaching that point with Anthony Lynn. Yeah, football is already hard enough yes. to win, especially at the NFL level. You don't have to do it with one hand tied behind your back. You Hidden points, hidden yards, hidden, hidden win percentage, however you want to put it. This is where these are at. It's making it a 1% better for you. And these accumulate over time. It might not be a game, but the process will pay dividends and the process of having a good process, you know, like if actually knowing how to handle these situations will create calmness with your team, create a hierarchy. Uh, p- players understand what happens in these tense situations. That's why music uh, at practice became such a big thing was because the line of thinking was football's chaotic. Game day is chaotic. Yeah. Okay. Let's make practice more chaotic and we'll get sound co- players can barely hear the coaches. There's some of that is, you know, how much is actually, is beneficial or not or how much of it is just listen to music during practice but we could talk about that later but i mean the whole everything with it they run the ball on that first and goal i know like they're down 10 but like just that was the fact that inexcusable inexcusable that's the only way to put it 
to run the ball with no timeouts within the last minute of a game. It doesn't matter. It just, you can't do that. And that's what Rich, Rich Gannon was calling this game. He was the color guy. And you, it was almost like he went through the entire process I've gone through, but in a truncated period of time. Over the course of this game, he just became disappointed in Anthony Lynn in the same way I have over the last month and a half, where he's just sitting there being like, I don't want to you know, dump all over the guy. But at a certain point, you cannot keep making these decisions. You cannot run the ball when you have no timeouts left in the final yeah. minute of a game. You cannot have no idea of whether or not you're going to kick a field goal, or whether or not you're going to go for it and call timeout in order to make that decision. It's just they are bumbling all of these decisions and all of these moments and they keep piling up. And at a certain point, it is a problem that cannot be fixed. Even the one there, it was the beginning of the fourth quarter, about 10 minutes left. It's, it's still, it was a 10 point game at that point as well. It's fourth and three burns a timeout ends up kicking the field goal. Um, and if he just, you know, so he burned the timeout. That was the last timeout, by the way, that they, at the end of the game, that when they ran the ball on first and 10, which or first and goal made that look even more stupid, but it's, it was fourth and three. It's a timeout. Uh, he burns the timeout. They end up kicking the field goal. Even if he takes a delay game there with the time, time milking down, it turns into a 32 yarder. So it's like, okay, no harm, no foul. Just keep your time out. Knowing that in, with 10 minutes left, that time and possessions are your most valuable thing. It's a, we got to make the, get the most bang for our buck. Cause we might only have two possessions left with 10 minutes left to go. And the fact that no, it's, oh, it's knowingly letting the clock burn down to take the time out to kick the field goal. It's just, it's a bad process. And that's, these are types of things. They had another one at the end of the first half. They banged the timeout fourth and two. And uh, they punted the ball. Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh my god, that I forgot. I even forgot about that one. Yeah, exactly. I I, I just was like, I just looked at my note and saw that one too. It's like they just these are multiple a game. It's not just one bad blemish, and it's like in a seventeen week season or a sixteen week season that's like, oh man, that was a funny one on Monday Night Football that everyone you know memes about. It's like no, four of these happen every single game. That's the problem. Yeah, that's the problem because at a certain point close game luck comes back to earth where it's like, oh, we got, we're going to get as many as we're not going to get in the yeah. long run. But in the long run, this team is not giving itself a chance to get some of these breaks. They're consistently handing them to the other team. And I just don't know how much longer it can continue. I mean, you have your quarterback, you're going to have another top 10 pick. You have a lot of good players on the team. Joey Bosa was awesome today. He's had another fantastic season. I mean, you have building blocks and especially with Herbert back there. And I just think you have to understand, all right, we have to do everything we can to get the most out of him and get the most out of this core that we've built. And I just don't know if this is the right staff to do that. I don't want anybody to lose their job, but you watch it and you, at a certain point, this stuff can't keep happening. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Let's get to this week's Would You Rather. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? This is a fun one. So I wrote about Sam Darnold this week, and I wrote a big thing about the teams that could potentially trade for Sam Darnold. I had a lot of conversations to, with people about it. I found it really interesting. I think it's a 
consideration of quarterback value and when pre-draft evaluations stop mattering. I think there are a lot of worthwhile questions involved in the Sam Darnold conversation. So one of the teams that people kept throwing out, because I feel like people are fascinated by their quarterback future because of Kyle Shanahan, was the Niners. And they've been attached to a bunch of different quarterbacks. And with the news on Saturday that the Lions are firing their GM and firing their coach, that is also a team that's now very much in transition. So here is my question for you. If you were the San Francisco 49ers and you were deciding to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason, would you rather give up a third round pick for Sam Darnold or a first round pick for Matthew Stafford? This is hard because I'm higher on Darnold than most people. I know you are. That's why I was doing this to you because I know it'd be difficult. Uh, It is. And I I still think, though, I would give up a first for uh, Stafford. And a lot of thinking with that is I think he's a bonafide Pro Bowl-esque quarterback. You can easily win a Super Bowl with him. You can imagine yourself winning a Super Bowl with him and any type of scheme that you want to run, much less a Kyle Shanahan scheme. Uh, He's a viable QB. He's what, 32? And so he has plenty of years left. It's not like a rental, a first round rental or or, or like you're trading for or signing a Rivers or a Brady or even a Breeze that re-signing him. And it's like, okay, we have all the chips are in the middle. We have a one, two year window. If you sign Stafford, you kind of have like two windows you can build with, with him. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what makes sense with the 49ers. They have some, they do seem like a team that has some midterm, long-term planning with their short-term planning. I think they do do a good job with that or might just be how it just looks on the, from the outsider's perspective. But I was just thinking too, it's like, what do we trade first rounders for? I mean, we trade a Stefan Diggs was a first rounder. Uh, DeForest yep. Buckner, 49ers traded, you know, traded away him for a first rounder. Sam Bradford, when the Teddy Bridgewater got hurt, went for a first rounder. And I guess that's, that's the a one totally different forget situation. about. Yeah, for a first rounder. I had to remind myself that one. And I was like, okay, yeah, I would definitely freaking trade a first rounder for Matthew Stafford, uh, no matter where that pick is. I mean, if you get, obviously, the 49ers wouldn't have a pick in the top 10, it looks like this year, because they're playing competitive football. But I do think, you know, first for Stafford just makes more sense. I just do think that's a bona fide Super Bowl winning quarterback. Darnold, a third rounder is fair value, I think, for Darnold, but there is a lot of question marks, and you still might have a question mark at that quarterback position where you're like, well, we just blew that third rounder, and now we just wasted time and reps and resources on trying to develop Darnold when he might be a lost cause. So I think there is a lot to consider here. So Stafford's contract situation, it's very tradable. If you're a team trying to get it, he would essentially cost $20 million against the cap for the next two years. A lot of the money is in signing bonuses and restructure bonuses that Detroit would be on the hook for. So the money is fine. I mean, you're, he's going to make less next season than Jimmy Garoppolo would make. So the Niners, you're actually <laughs> saving money and you're getting a guy who's a better quarterback. Stylistically, yeah. I think it would work. I mean, a lot of the best stuff he did last year under Daryl Bevel was play action based I think that a lot of the middle of the field stuff they do, his release is very quick in that area. I think he absolutely could do some of that stuff. I'm intrigued by Darnold in that offense, though. And I think you are as well. Because (laughs) some of the best stuff that he did for the Jets as a rookie was on boot play action plays that were based on the Shanahan offense. Jeremy Bates was the offensive coordinator there. Bates was a longtime Mike Shanahan disciple in Denver. That's where he got his Mm -hmm. start. And you see those plays where Darnold's either rolling right or left, and on the move, he can make some stuff happen. I also think the best area of his game is how he delivers the ball to the middle of the field. 
And you see a lot of the stuff they did even today when they did it under Garoppolo, the play action stuff from shotgun, that's where they like to attack. I think that if you're going to get the most out of Darnold, that offense is probably the best case scenario for him. I think that's true for a lot of quarterbacks, <laughs> but I think that even more so his strengths align with what they'd ask him to do. But there's a lot of hope baked into that. And if Darnold does go for a third rounder, which from the conversations that I had, it felt like anywhere between a two or a three, depending on how many people were involved. I still think that for the Niners and for their timeline, Stafford would probably make more sense because you have those two years. I think that offense for the most part is built to succeed right now with the right quarterback. And with Darnold, you have a year of cheap Darnold next season because it's the last year of his rookie deal. But then that fifth year option is looming. So if you're trading for him, you're in a tough spot because that fifth year option is now fully guaranteed. This is the first draft class where you have to guarantee it if you pick it up. In the past, you just say, oh, well, we'll guarantee it. And it's only guaranteed for injury. If we have to cut him, we cut him. It's not a big deal. Now, that's not the consideration anymore. So if he's really good after you trade a third round pick for him, your only option is either pay him or franchise him. Similar to what happened with Tannehill this year. So you get one really good season after giving up a third round pick for the guy, and you could be on the hook for $90 million guaranteed. With Stafford... I mean, you maybe pay him to give him some guaranteed money up front and appease him right away. But for the most part, he's probably going to be pretty affordable for those first couple of years. So I tend to think that as well. And I agree with you with the first round pick. Think about the ways we've spent it in the past. Spending it for a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback is worth it. But I still think that Darnold at that price is an intriguing option for this team in a way it's not for other teams, especially if the Niners do end up playing themselves out of this quarterback draft. I would just love either of those guys in that offense, though, just to see the cap taken off of that offense. It, you yeah, know, literally, literally the cap and just the top of like because that was even though Jimmy G had maybe high efficiency stats. Twenty sixteen Falcons, like man. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that's all. Yeah, that's all you need to see with a guy like Stafford, you know, back there. It's like, but that's I. You want to just see that explosiveness, uh, this element to their offense that's a little more explosive and we see it a little bit with what the 49ers are doing with you know the receiver run stuff which is going to catch on even more and more what the Rams and 49ers are doing I know it's very unique but just getting balls and playmakers hands wow what a concept but <laughs> but how they're doing <laughs> it, it's going to start copying and matriculate around around the league I already know it but it's seeing a different area attacked by this offense as opposed to more horizontally within 15 yards that they usually attack it's just be I, I just want to see it. Like it's just it's more just in a football nerd want. <laughs> That's why I'd like to see it with Stafford. Yeah. Because oh, Darnold Darnold is not a good down the field thrower. I mean that you look at all the numbers. That's been a weakness. It's more that his. he's willing than he's able. <laughs> That's exactly right. He doesn't have that yeah. good of an arm. He's a good athlete, but his arm doesn't really wow you the way I mean Stafford's obviously does. He's one of the yeah. best arms in the history of football. But that that's to me what I would like to see. I'd love to see their ability to push the ball down the field and just have it explode yeah. out of his hands in the way it does with yeah. Stafford. So speaking of Matt Ryan, I wanted to bring this up earlier and I didn't, I wouldn't have an actual discussion after this, but speaking of Matt Ryan very quickly, I forgot to bring this up before uh, a player that was not playing in the late game or in the early games today, texted me this and I will never be able to unsee it. Matt Glennon has the exact same quarterback mannerisms as Matt Ryan. Oh, okay. His throwing motion, the way he moves around, I promise you, you will never be able to watch it and not think that again. It's the exaggerated legs. 
it, it's, it's that's like, it it's it yeah. i was watching it and i was like oh my god it's because i just popped they both popped in my head and i was just kind of like oh yeah now i'm not gonna be able to you will never it. ever be able to watch it usually like that is giraffe matt ryan that is what you will think every <laughs> single time you ever watch mike mac or mike glennon for the rest of your life that's the patrick mahomes scrambling that's just a mosquito's joke that it looks, <laughs> it looks like he's carrying a, uh, a can of beer while he scrambles and it's one of those things now anytime you watch mahomes run with the ball you're like oh my god that looks like a 12 ounce bud light in his hand like that's exactly so, what it looks like congratulations for the rest of matt ryan's career you'll be watching short mike glennon which is going to be amazing for you <laughs> so speaking of mike glennon the jaguars fired dave caldwell today the second gm firing of the weekend the lions also fired their general manager they fired bob quinn and matt patricia on saturday you and i were talking a little bit about this and i know it's not tied to sunday's games but i th- still thought it was relevant and interesting I don't want to make it a comparison, but if you were looking at the situation the Lions are in, do you think it's the deepest hole for any new GM to dig out of next year when compared to all of the other jobs that might come open? Yes, I Why? do. What, do you, what makes you say that? I think just how all in they went and what Patriots West or Patriots Midwest have carte blanche there and just they went all in on that style. And it's a very specific type of style that might be you know, archaic at this point in 2020 football or even 2021 football. I just think other than Stafford, you got a ton of question marks across that entire team. Uh, you might, you might be losing Galladay. It's not like you have an O-line guys that you can really build around defensively. They're built for a specific look. And even a guy that they took in the first round this year, Akuda, who I was really high on, looks like he's playing slow and just like, I mean, he had a, a game earlier this year against the Cardinals where he, he looked legit against Deandre Hopkins and had some really nice plays, had a nice pick where he undercut one. And ever since then, it's just last week I saw him and it's, he totally airballs like a press technique. And it looks like he's just a second late on the snap. So obviously his head's spinning. I get, he's too good of a player to be like playing like that. So it's, they got some stank on him. So, <laughs> um, but I, I just mean just the entire, roster is just built for a specific way that it's not very it doesn't give you a lot of ways to pivot it's not like you uh, someone went into the jaguars defense after the bradley years and they're just like oh well i mean not a lot of good has come from that but at least they had some bendy athletes and some guys that you can kind of work with lions don't lions have stafford and not much else on that team deandre swift's nice but you know kenny galladay is a great player but he's a free agent after this year so their entire free their entire receiving core is free agents after this year it's Marvin jones is gone danny mandola is gone even marvin hall is gone so they still have um quintus Quintus cephas quintus cephas i was (laughs) was, go badgers so it was so funny to me (laughs) i am i I, I made a joke yesterday about them needing all their receivers being free agents and someone's like this is quintus cephas erasure and i was like yeah this is my point he's the only nfl receiver left on their roster and then you look for the rest of us man he he i I, i'm a big fan of his like i'm sure you are (laughs) but so their offensive line i think is intact and that group i think is solid but they need all new playmakers. And on defense, there's these contracts are signed. I mean, they let them yeah. hand out a lot of money. I mean, yes. Trey Flowers is a good player, but he's not a $20 million player, which is nope. that move was a mistake from the start. Even if you like Trey Flowers, it's the exact type of move the Patriots wouldn't make if you're trying to build a team like the Patriots. When you have a lot of guys who aren't great rushers, you don't pay them anything. That's how you build your team. Those it's are just, the guys you churn. Those are the guys you yes. turn around. It, it's just, <laughs> and that is, there were so many just misguided lessons. And the way that they've built this, I mean, paying the linebackers as much as they did, you watch that game against 
Houston, they're just eating Jamie Collins in coverage. Oh. I mean, just play after play getting him in space, but that's how they built this team. There's evidence of Jamie Collins turning into a pumpkin outside of Foxborough. There, yes. There's already yes. evidence of him not being able to produce outside of Foxborough, and they still did it. <laughs> Wait, he Even when he was playing well in New England, he wasn't yeah. manned up on linebackers, no, and, uh, nope. run, la, manned up on running backs in space the way he was against Duke Johnson on Thursday. And I talked to a GM last week that said it was the slowest defense he's ever seen. And yes. when you're trying to play that way, it's you just can't be that. It, there's nope. no way you're going to be able to play that much man coverage when you don't have athletes and match up with teams. It's just not going to work. And they are tied into this style. And it's... All of this stuff is overstated. You can get out of any hole financially yeah. in essentially two years in the NFL, but they are really deep in it with certain types of guys and not that many young ascending players on the team. I would argue that the, and especially if they trade Stafford, they have assets. Yeah. I mean, they could potentially have a top 10 pick if they wanted to draft a quarterback. I would argue that the bears may be in a worse situation because they're tied into a lot of players on their team as well on defense and they've signed a lot of contracts and they don't have a quarterback. They don't have a quarterback. You could trade for a first round pick and they may not be in position to draft a quarterback. So I think you could argue that of all the GM jobs that could come open, the bears might be the worst one, but I think that the lions are right in line. God, you're just stabbing yourself some more, huh? Listen, I'm just trying to be realistic, man. I don't think that's an un, I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. You're I like, really oh, don't. NFC, you just heard NFC North terrible, and you're just like, oh, I just need to punch myself one more time in the nuts. But if you're thinking measure. about the jobs that could come open, and these are the comparisons we're making, I think the Bears' job is probably worse. And that's Not. like ownership aside, yeah, resources, I, yeah. all of I that stuff. I'm, I'm just yeah. talking. I'm just talking about the actual roster and what it looks like and what you're playing with in terms of the players in the building. That's all I'm considering. And on that level, I think the Bears job is probably worse than the Lions job if it were to come open. All right, before we get out of here, I want to try a new segment today because there are a lot of games that happen in the NFL every single week that you know aren't great and aren't bad. You know, and, and putting it in those two buckets it doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room. So we're gonna call this the swing set. It's a set of plays that swung the outcome of a game. And I think that my favorite example of this today was the Carolina-Minnesota game. You watch that game, it seemed like the Vikings were dead in the water, the Panthers were going to walk to a win, and we were just going to be sitting there being like, well, we should have gotten excited about the Vikings. Instead, the Vikings win this game, are now 5-6, and six, and very much in the hunt for a wild card spot in the NFC. When you were looking at that fourth quarter and that home stretch of that game, what few kind of moments jumped out to you that sealed it for Minnesota? The huge one was it, Panthers were on offense and Vikings on defense, and it was third and 10, about 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Panthers are an empty. They run a four verts type concept with a crosser. You'll see the Saints do it all the time. And with it and at the slot, they run a read route. Usually, typically, you'll see it a lot on third downs. It's the Antonio Gates special, but just think of it with a with a receiver in the slot doing it. 10 to 12 yards, you'll see Cole Beasley do it all the time. And that's where the Panthers are creating a little bit of a high low. They have an over, they have a crosser, and they have a read route. They kind of were figuring that we're either getting pressure from the Vikings or something soft because Vikings kept doing it. They kept bringing these mugged up pressures, which is the Mike Zimmer special Two linebackers in the a gaps. They love doing it. And then they'll run everything out of it 
um, every type of pressure you can think of and every type of coverage you can think of. They just love that look because it does put strain on, on on offense. And actually, earlier in the, in the game, the Panthers gashed him versus one of those pressures, the Robbie Anderson crosser that he yep. caught and run. Yep, against a little fire zone. They caught him. It's a it huge game. Yep. Yep, they caught him. Just one of those great plays, called it at the right time. And so on this third and 10, ball ends up at the, the crosser. And after they showed us blitz, they ran, uh, the Vikings ran out to a, a cover two, to, uh, to Tampa. The cornerback Jones, number 26 Jones, who I don't know much about, actually did a great job of sinking on this play. Then he comes off and he makes the tackle on the crosser. The Really, the great play on this is Eric Kendricks does an awesome job. He sinks underneath the read route by the slot, and then he just shoots off it and comes and rallies on the tackle on the crosser. And thank God he did because he stopped him short. And it leads to a field goal from the Panthers. And that's what made it so that they end up winning the game is because if they get that first down, they go down either milk more clock off because we just saw how many seconds or how valuable these seconds were in these games. And also they were able to hold him to a field goal. Just a great play that really showed like how in tune this defense is getting. It's like they're getting better and better with these guys. And on the flip side, on that same type of play, if you want to see how that play should look, is Cousins hits in the two-minute drive, hits the same route, that same read route to the slot, uh, to BB. And Panthers wanted to hit it, but you know, this time the Vikings did hit it in a two-minute situation. You know, it was third and long for the Panthers. But that was just a play. It really changed the momentum. It held them to a field goal. Okay, Vikings got off the field. They were able to reset themselves, and then really something came from that and really set their little comeback that happened in the fourth quarter. And there are a lot of small moments. I mean, obviously, if Bridgewater hits more in the end zone, the game is probably over. He misses him. But the Vikings put themselves in positions consistently to be in this game. I thought that Eric Wilson made several really nice plays in space. Really fun player. Really I, I was very impressed by him today. He had a couple of really nice plays. I mean, just good feel and coverage. He had a tackle for loss. I don't think he actually dragged the guy down, but he hit Mike Davis like three yards deep in the backfield to force a second and 13. Mm-hmm. They incomplete screen on the next play and they get the ball back. So he had a couple of really nice moments. And Justin Jefferson was fantastic down the stretch. Oh. I mean, the the whip on the touchdown is just... Beautiful. I mean, that guy has a really good feel for that kind of stuff. And yep. though he had a, a deep crosser that Cousins hit to him. Cousins yep. also came up huge on a couple of these plays. But, it, I mean, just scattered plays here and there. I mean, they did what they needed to do to win. And I think that I'm very impressed with them being able to do that offensively with BB and Jefferson and no Thielen in the fourth quarter of that game. And BB also had a couple really nice moments. And it was funny because on the touchdown to BB, they had Jefferson at the number two spot in empty and the Jefferson held the free safety in, in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. And so it's essentially BB one-on-one and cousins makes a great decision. It's really funny that Jefferson already at this point in his career has that sort of gravity and yeah. he should, that's how well he's playing. He deserves that sort of respect. He has such a great, great feel. Uh, it, it, it in, at LSU, he works so much from the inside, and that's one of the reasons I really loved him yep. was because he had size and speed, and you could tell he was smart because he just go to the right guy in the blocking in the run game and stuff. And it's just cool seeing him operate from the outside now, and just he's he's like a monster. <laughs> I mean, that whip route is great. The design of that was awesome. They ran they ran like a hip close. They made it look like a a, a toss play. That you know, hip close is basically bunch and fake the toss, ran a waggle. He runs a whip route like he is coming on the backside trying to block the safety, and that corner had no chance because you have to go full speed with a guy that runs a legit four four and change and has size. You see him after he ca- well, it's just like it spoke everything about it. The route, 
the the cell of the route, the route itself, the whip route, being able to stop at going that full speed, then the adjustment on the catch because it wasn't exactly a perfect throw. And then he runs through contact to score. It was like, oh my god! Like my comparison for him in the pre-draft was Robert Woods, kind of like maybe a little better version of Robert Woods. It really should have been more like Godwin, you know? Like he is—he's bigger. He is just he's like bigger. Yeah, he's got yeah. A, yeah. He's got that build that it's like, oh, he's a he's a power slot, but he can work from the outside as well. It's yeah, he, he's coming. Over. I'm so glad because I, I was really high on him coming into the draft. So I was like, yeah, good. Yeah, I was right. Yeah, totally. Way to go, Justin Jefferson. But it's it's all those. Even the two point play was great. The little RPO. They motioned a bunch. They ran just like a little zone with it, and then they ran a pick play on the outside. And you could tell the it was whole, the same kind of deal. I mean, there was yeah, it was Johnson working in then back out. It was they yep. pretty much did the exact same kind. Of, I mean, the and the it, pick certainly helped, but it was the same yeah. kind of thought as the Jefferson touchdown yep. attacking the same way. And they kind of packaged that play. It was because it just had a run play. So I'm guessing if it was the goal line zone variation that they would hand the ball off but since they got man or pressure they're like okay we're going to throw the pick route on the outside and it worked perfect because the corner that was guarding them like just went underneath and was just dead in the water cousins made it kind of a funky throw just tapping it over but it was it was perfect just it was good stuff all around from all of them uh i mean like you said the last touchdown was an easy pitch and catch no helps help on the inside it's just good design even in the two minute drill when you could see cousins kind of have to operate without you know design play calls or maybe just more standardized play calls he's finding the right guys i mean rudolph is wide open on the one anyone could have found him because well that was the the three-man rush yeah three-man rush with the two wide open guys with a minute left in the game in that situation bringing a three-man rush is completely unacceptable suicide it's it's completely unacceptable and as soon as it was happening i was like oh that's a terrible idea and he just sat back there with a three-man rush two of the guys eventually got to the ground and no one was open and rudolph eventually rudolph had given up on the play and then just kind of drifted back a little bit and cousins found him for a 25 yard gain and it was that's the reason they won the game yep because they put him right down the thing and there it's oh i know it just it was fun watching the offense today that just watching that entire thing come together. They were using the fullback in great ways too. Uh, you know, lead draw. Yeah. 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 Oh, lead draw was great. It's they run lead draw better than anyone because they can, because they run out, they run out of so much eye formation, but it's so fun seeing old school eye formation lead draw. And they hit it. They hit it like twice a game. I didn't know too, that CJ ham had like his own little, I know most, players and stuff have like a little sound clip that plays when they have a good play but yeah when they designed that play for cj ham they had a noise that was it was unique so vikings fans like tweet at me whatever just what exactly played when cj ham got that play that they designed for him because that was it was weird it was like a like a i, I was like a guttural noise or something yelling like it was some, it was unique it was like it was fullback noise it was what you expected a cj ham fullback like sound clip to play at a stadium like that's what played so that like a, that like it was a cool play design too but like this the little sound clip after i was like oh what what was that I'm, it's a huge win for them because now they're a game back of arizona in the wild card race yeah. i mean the bears are definitely trending in the wrong direction so at this point the rams are seven and four they're in a really good spot even after losing today seahawks same kind of deal even if they lose they're at seven and four but the Cardinals are six and five. The Vikings are five and six. The Niners are five and six. I mean, a couple. I mean, the Niners, the Cardinals are not playing great. Their offense, as we said, you know, continues to look disjointed. The Vikings defense, 
has been so much better than it was earlier in the season. I mean, this is now one of the best defenses in the NFL. I mean, you consider how bad their start was. They're sitting at 10th in weighted DVOA defensively. I mean, they eventually got it together with the younger guys, and they still, I mean, even without the talent up front, they've managed to put it together. And I think the offense isn't great, but it's good enough. I absolutely, in that group, think they have a shot to steal that last wild card spot. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they ended up doing it. They're playing good football, and it's the time to play good football. We're in the second half of the year, and it's, you know, playoffs are bearing down like it's they're they're coming they're coming quicker than you think so vikings keep doing it they keep winning these games and they look pretty good doing it they had an ugly one ugly loss you know recently but other than that they play they keep stacking these wins and it's it's been fun to watch all right guys that's all we got today thank you so much for listening please rate and review the show on your podcast platform of choice i would very much appreciate it Please subscribe to The Athletic. Our Black Friday sale is still going until Monday, I believe. It is a dollar a month for a year. That is an incredible deal. You will not think twice about it. I promise you won't regret it. The amount of stuff we have on the site, especially late last week, was excellent. I mean, it's consistently great. So please sign up. I promise you, you will be happy that you did. We will be back on Wednesday. We have a fun show for you guys this week. I'm really looking forward to it. Until then, though, thank you so much for listening to The Athletic Football Show. We'll talk to you later. This was The Athletic Football Show.